This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Administration of Inhaled Medications by Craig Smallwood. My name is Craig Smallwood. I'm a respiratory therapist and researcher here at Boston Children's Hospital. Today, we're going to discuss administration of inhaled and nebulized medications. More specifically, we'll review small volume nebulizers and specifically metered dose inhalers. A nebulizer is a device used to administer medication in the form of a mist or an aerosol. There are many different types of nebulizers, and I'm going to describe um, only a few today. All of nebulizers, on the other hand, take gas, typically air, gas, uh, usually oxygen or perhaps heliox, which is mixed with a liquid suspension medication and then forms an aerosol for delivery to the patients within the, the lungs themselves. Most appropriately performing nebulizers will produce particle sizes in the 2 to 3 micron range, which will ensure adequate delivery to an appropriate portion in the respiratory tract. Indications and contraindications. Indications for inhaled medication are to treat or reverse bronchospasm, inflammation, thick secretions, airway infections, airway edema, airway anesthetization, sputum induction. Some common drug classes that are administered by aerosol inhalations are bronchodilators used to treat bronchospasm as seen in asthma, steroids used to treat inflammation as seen in asthma and or bronchopulmonary dysplasia, eucalytics that are, which are used to treat thick secretions and facilitate pulmonary toilet, especially in conditions such as cystic fibrosis. Antibiotics or antivirals can be used to treat respiratory tract infections as seen in patients with cystic fibrosis or even immunocompromised patients. Anesthetics are used to anesthetize airway reflexes to allow for airway procedures such as a bronchoscopy. Irritants such as hypertonic saline is used to induce sputum production for diagnostic purposes. And in some cases, these medications can be delivered as a controller for a chronic pulmonary condition as well. Some healthcare providers would refrain from performing this procedure in patients with allergies to the administered medication or do not have a strong enough respiration to inhale adequately the medication itself. Equipment. Let's discuss some of the equipment and the necessary steps required to appropriately and safely administer aerosolized medications to pediatric patients. What I'm going to describe to you in this segment is how to set up a small volume jet nebulizer. There are a few different components that we need to look at closely before we administer our medication to our patient. First, the interface. We want to make sure that we have an appropriately sized mask depending on the patient's size. We need to make sure that we have the nebulizer itself. If you are using a nebulizer that's been used previously, make sure to inspect the inside of it to ensure that no crystallization from previous treatments will interfere with the generation of appropriately sized particles during this application. You also need to have oxygen tubing connected to a gas source, which can be either oxygen itself air, some mixture, or even heliox. We're also going to need to make sure that we have our appropriately dosed medication. Demonstration of nebulizer use. I've double checked the medication dosage. We looked at the order from the doctor and everything looks appropriate for our child. I've gathered the necessary equipment and I'm going to select the appropriate interface. Let's go over a few options. Common interfaces include various size face masks and mouthpieces. A mouthpiece is preferred in cooperative children that can readily follow instructions to ensure that a good seal is maintained between the child and the nebulizer mouthpiece. These children should be able to breathe through the mouthpiece to maximize the effectiveness of the medication delivery. However, if the patient is too young or unable to cooperate for whatever reason, it's most appropriate to utilize a face mask. This interface option requires only a properly fitting face mask and an adequate respiratory effort. 
Before we proceed, we'll also want to ensure that the patient is in the correct position. I'm going to put the head of the bed to approximately 30 to 45 degrees. An important performance note about jet nebulizers is that they should be oriented approximately vertically to work effectively. Tilting the device too far, perhaps 20 to 30 degrees on any angle, in any direction, can cause the medication to move away from the jet gas port inside the device and render the treatment ineffective. If you notice a treatment you are administering is taking a long period of time, or there doesn't appear to be an appropriate volume of aerosol generated, you may want to check the nebulizer to ensure proper vertical orientation. Next, I'm going to connect the nebulizer to our gas source using oxygen tubing. It should be noted that in order to adequately power jet nebulizers, a specific gas flow is required for this device. The manufacturer in this case recommends 9 liters per minute. However, it doesn't necessarily matter what type of gas. It could be 100% O2, air, heliox, etc. You'll need to exercise good clinical judgment to determine the appropriate gas for your treatment. Often, patients receive 100% oxygen if there are no contraindications, simply because this is the most readily available compressed gas in most institutions. But importantly, make sure that the gas flow is not running when you connect it. You should wait until the setup is complete and the device is adequately affixed to the child before you start the gas flow. This will minimize the amount of wasted drug and maximize the received dose. Next, I have our drug. I've removed the cap and I'm going to take our medication, which is in a liquid suspension, and place it inside the device. We're going to replace the cap, attach the interface, affix the oxygen tubing to the bottom portion of the nebulizer, and place the mask on our patient. I'm going to turn the oxygen flow rate onto 9 liters per minute as per recommendations by the manufacturer. This treatment should last anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. Now that the treatment is running, let's discuss inhalation therapy quality. There are three main components to quality. One, the appropriate medication, dosage, and indication for our patient. Two, assurance of good quality aerosol. And three, maintenance of good, proper breathing pattern in our subject. Aerosol quality can be assessed a couple of different ways. First, a visual assessment of the aerosol density can be done. Here, you note both good and poor aerosol quality. Second, the time that is required to complete aerosolization of a prescribed medication volume should be noted. If the time is much too short or too long, a problem with delivery may have occurred. If the time is excessively short, some medication may have spilled either by the incorrect orientation of the nebulizer or a crack in the device. If the time is too long, on the other hand, be sure to assess the gas flow rate, assess the nebulizer for crystallization in the chamber, and assess for manufacturing defects of the device. If possible, you should also encourage your patient to maintain a consistent and deep breathing pattern during the treatment. Demonstration of metered dose inhalers. In the next segment, I'm going to discuss the proper application of metered dose inhalers, or MDIs, in children. A metered dose inhaler consists of a canister, which contains a propellant, a compressed inert gas, and a medication, an actuator that the canister is inserted into, and when depressed, directs a specific amount of medication through the mouthpiece and sometimes a counter, which retains a record of the number of canister depressions to help gauge when a canister should be changed for your subject. It's important to note that there are several different masks and interfaces when using MDIs. In general, it's good practice with infant and pediatric subjects to use an antistatic valved holding chamber or spacer, since they may have difficulty with the coordination and control involved in using MDIs independently. A holding chamber or spacer, as commonly known, is a device that is basically an aerosolized medication reservoir. It allows a collection of medication to be held in a chamber that can then be inhaled and not lost to the room during delivery. We have several different interface options. Depending on the patient's size, we have different masks and different size chambers. 
Additionally, we have spacers that are built for endotracheal and or tracheostomy tubes. Also, we have inline MDIs, which can be used during mechanical ventilation. I've selected a pediatric sized chamber with an appropriate mask for this patient. Some components of the chamber itself, the interface, an appropriate size interface is essential to minimize leaks during use and optimize delivery of our medication. The one-way inhalation valve separates the chamber from the patient and ensures that upon inhalation, the patient draws gas through the chamber that contains the medication. The one-way exhalation valve ensures that upon exhalation, gas is diverted through a separate channel out to the room and away from the medication chamber. The exhalation valve helps to prevent dilution of the medication from exhaled gases. The antistatic chamber and the MDI adapter. The MDI adapter is where the chamber interacts with the MDI and is able to accept medication. One important thing to note when using MDIs is to appropriately and vigorously shake the canister before each actuation. About 30 to 40 seconds of aggressive shaking between actuations will ensure that the highest proportion of the prescribed dose on the canister will be administered to your patient. Place it back into the plastic holder, place it into our chamber, and let's actuate a puff here and give it to our patient. Now it's not essential for the patient to synchronize breathing with the canister actuation since we're using a chamber that helps to ensure the medication is delivered on demand. I'm going to shake for another 30 to 4 seconds after that actuation before we give our second dose. I wait 4 to 5 breaths between actuations to make sure that the patient inhales all the medication in the chamber possible. Cleaning. For aerosol delivery equipment, including nebulizer and holding chambers, devices should be cleaned and disinfected appropriately. Although there is some controversy in the literature as to the most effective methods of disinfection, the following recommendations are noted by the nebulizer manufacturers, the American Association of Respiratory Care, and the Association for Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology. For a disposable handheld small volume nebulizer, like the one discussed earlier in this lecture, should be rinsed thoroughly after each use and allowed to completely air dry between treatments. A mask or mouthpiece should be wiped with an alcohol pad the entire setup should be discarded every 24 hours. Holding chambers should be cleaned with a detergent, rinsed, and allowed to dry. Depending on the specific holding chamber, manufacturer recommendations may vary slightly as to the frequency of cleaning. Recommendations for cleaning an MDI include removing the medication canister from the actuator and running the actuator under warm water for one minute, or 30 seconds per end. Importantly, this procedure does not directly disinfect the device. Rather, it cleans the point of contact between the actuator and the canister that can build up with medication and help to ensure proper performance and medication delivery. Small volume nebulizers, holding chambers, and MDI actuators should not be shared between patients. Complications The complications that you may observe include tachycardia or dysrhythmias, no improvement in breathing pattern or gas exchange, oral candidiasis, or pupillary changes with certain administered medications. I encourage you to monitor your patient closely for signs and symptoms of complications and to be prepared to manage them. This includes having the necessary equipment available to treat the complications should any arise. Assessment and monitoring. Aside from the assessment of aerosol medication quality discussed previously, it's important to monitor the patient's vital signs, including oxygen saturation, respiratory rate, heart rate, blood pressure, as well as assess lung sounds before, during, and after administration of the medication. Following administration of inhaled medication, you should document the following information in the patient's medical record. The indication for the administered medication, the date and time that the medication was administered, the child's response to the treatment, including his or her vital signs and lung assessment before, during, and after the procedure, as well as any pertinent information such as uh, observed adverse reactions or sputum introduction. And of course, document the specific dosage and type of medication that was administered. 
This concludes our video on administration of inhaled medication. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.